You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. taking place. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's go in the Word of the Lord to Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1. And I want to preach to you, if I can, for just a few moments today from this Christmas passage. And we need the help of the Lord today. We need the Holy Ghost. And uh, I thank God for His Spirit that knows exactly what we need when we need it. So, I want us just to be open today. Can you do that? Let's just be open to the word of the Lord. Let God's spirit speak to us. Amen. In Matthew chapter number one, I'll begin a few verses before what I gave the media team. So I'll throw this on them. But I'll begin at verse number 18 and we'll read through verse 30 or 23 rather. And it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. This is speaking of the miracle birth of Jesus Christ or conception. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, or this is supernatural of God. And here's what it says in verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. Yeah. For he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Here he's quoting Isaiah saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us. Yes. I want to talk to us this morning, if I can, on this thought, God with us. Everybody say us. Us, us which means not just me. Turn to somebody and tell them, not just you. Not just me. God with us. Let's pray today. Lord, I thank you for your word and I thank you for your spirit. And I ask God that some way by your Holy Ghost that your, your life could be breathed into maybe a hopeless situation today. God, that there could be healing today, that there could be recovery today. Lord, I pray right now that there could be hope that comes in our life. In Jesus name, let the light of God shine this morning in us. And everybody said in Jesus Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. Amen. This is a Christmas passage and we love Christmas time. I love Christmas time and I love the Christmas story. I love reading the few verses and chapters in scripture that cover this time period and yet every year being able to see something new or let the Lord speak to us in some way. 
And so today I share with you a personal thought that the Lord laid on my heart today and so I, I, or, or earlier this week rather, and I want to just try to share this with you. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which as Matthew adds, being interpreted is God with us. He is quoting from Isaiah chapter number seven and verse number 14, where Isaiah prophesies and says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In the Old Testament, Isaiah, in our English uh, uh, version here, King James Version, we see Emmanuel's written with an I in Isaiah, an E in Matthew, and those are differences of translations from the Hebrew and the Aramaic in the New Testament and the Old Testament. But when God gave this prophecy to Isaiah, Emmanuel, they would have known, the, the Hebrews would have known that this meant God with us. Of course, the prophecy comes in an interesting time. It, it is a prophecy that seems to drop in the middle of the most uh, unexpected time. Isaiah is in the middle of prophesying their judgment and their doom. He is in the middle of prophesying about how bad they have been and how bad things are and how bad things are going to be. And right in the middle, he says, God shall give you a sign. Yeah. I, I did a series a few years ago. I think it's on the podcast, Emmanuel, the sign for the ages, where we took an in-depth look at the context of this prophecy and covered specifically chapter seven, eight, and nine. It's an interesting study. It's intriguing. Today, I can't rehash all of this, but, but frankly, life was a mess. And Isaiah comes to prophesy in the middle of a mess. And he comes to give them not only the thus saith the Lord, which includes the, the judgments, the warnings, the admonitions, but it also includes a message of mercy and a message of hope. Yes. Now, we may not be standing in the same place that they were standing then, but one thing we can agree with and that is this, that life, life is messy. Can I get a witness? Life is messy. I was thinking just yesterday as I was driving down the road, I was leaving the church office and going home and I got in my pickup truck and I was digging some things outside of the back of the truck. And I, I, I just had this moment where I, I felt so uh, uh, ashamed. I felt like I had uh, just failed in life altogether. And the reason why was because my truck is filthy on the inside. Somebody's laughing over here. I, I, I used to be a perfectionist. Well, I, I am in some ways a perfectionist, but I used to be 
a clean freak. My wife and I lived for eight years on the road traveling. We lived out of cars and vans and our SUV and, and, and we would live in the, we, we would be on the road 300 days a year. And yet one thing I always felt good about, and that was that my car was always clean. It was always clean, but then something happened 14 years into our marriage and God blessed us with a little wonderful bundle of joy that also makes life messy. And now I'm just resigned to the fact that my vehicles will forever be messy. You get it all clean and you think it's great. And then all of a sudden you stick your hand in between the seats and, and you find gum, but it's not in the wrapper anymore. And it's already been used. He sneaks into our car. If I can't find him in the house, he is a good chance. He's in the garage. He snuck into the garage and uh, we lock our doors not to keep people out, but to keep people in at our house. And I'll find gun ra gum wrappers all over. I'll buy a big pack of gum and, and there's just wrappers all over. And usually at the end of the trail, which a lot of times is in the back corner of the bottom of the closet, there's somebody eating a wad of gum that's so big that he... Life is messy. Life is messy. Literally, it's messy in more ways than one. But more than just the reality of that, the Bible says that where no, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. There's a reality. Whenever you bring people, introduce people into situations and circumstance, things get messy. And, and the reality is, is that we are the cause for much of the mess. But not only is it literally messy, but... But it gets messy whenever there's people. It's not just physically messy, but it's emotionally messy. It's, it's relational. It's relationally messy. And in our day and age in which we live today, we can see the context sort of parallels what was going on in the time of Isaiah. Spirits of division among our society and communities. We're so tired of talking about it. We're weary with hearing for it. Surely this year in 2020, it's going to make for greater stress on an already stressful season. Perhaps there will be some that will use COVID as an opportunity to avoid entering to the mess and the fray, but yet others will show up looking for a fight because life is just messy. Can I get an amen? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and this is the realities of where we were. But if you go to Isaiah chapter number seven, you will find in the book of Isaiah that that the kingdom of Israel, God's own people, the promised land, had been divided into two kingdoms. There was the north called calling themselves Israel or Samaria, and there was the south calling themselves Judah, and the tribes had fallen along those lines in the north. They are the same people with the same promise, with the same God, but... They've set up themselves their own king. They've set up their own way of worship. And now the north has fallen into allegiance with the nation of Syria. And they are coming down to Judah, to Jerusalem, to their own people. And they're going to try to attack it. And they're trying to set up a puppet king that fails and doesn't work. And Isaiah shows up and says, all of your fighting, all of the stuff that's going on between 
telling both of you. He said, it's for naught. It's going to fail. And then Isaiah tells them, he said, there's another king from Assyria that's going to come in and he's going to wipe out Samaria and he's going to carry them away captive. And Isaiah prophesies, he said, he's going to choke out even the south, Judah. He's going to take them all the way until they get to the limit of the city of Jerusalem. Everybody is going to be conquered except for the city of Jerusalem. It would come to pass in a few years when the king Shennacherib would come and he would lay siege upon this area. But Isaiah is prophesying their doom and their gloom. He's saying, because of your sin, because of your wickedness, he says, it's not enough that you have wearied man. He said, but you have wearied God. They find ways to fight, and here they are saying, well, we got to do this, and we got... But they're fighting among themselves. There's this disunity. There's this division. There's idolatry. There's all kinds of false teachings that have come in. People are justifying themselves, why their cause is right, and why they should take over this. And it's in the middle of this. It's in the middle of the mess. It's in the middle of the chaos. It's in the middle of Isaiah pronouncing judgment, because they would not listen to God that right in the middle Isaiah drops this prophecy and says but God is going to give you a sign he said there's going to be so much confusion you're not going to know where to turn isn't this what he says look at look at what he says in Isaiah chapter number nine he and verse number five he says for every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood Blood. He said this, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. He's saying there's going to be so much confusion that nobody is going to know where to look and nobody's going to know what's true and where to turn. But I have given you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and thou shalt call his name. Amen. Emmanuel, God with us. It was a sign for the ages. It was not... It was not, now you have heard me many times quote the New Living Translation. I'm reading through it devotionally this year. But there can be dangers in certain translations that you pick up. And in the New Living Translation, when you come to Isaiah 7 and 14, there will be a little asterisk and there will be a little footnote. And a lot of times they'll sneak things in the footnote and they'll say that virgin should or could also be translated simply young woman. And it's, it's, it seems so sly. It seems like it, it's not in Important, but it actually is an attack against the very thing that Isaiah was prophesying. He was prophesying that there would be a supernatural thing, that a virgin, someone who is pure, would conceive a child. It would not be humanly possible. It would be supernatural. But the reason for that supernatural occurrence is because it would be God. Yeah. 
with us. It would not be just another man. It would not be just another boy. It would not be just another child, but it would be the absolute eternal God, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting that would come down and manifest in the flesh. Why? Because in our chaos and in our mess, there's no way that we could ever reach God. But in the middle of the mess, God says, I come down to you. I come down to them. I come down to them. God with us. We rejoice in the miracle. We thank God because God Almighty came down to us. We praise God for that. God made the step that we could not make. He bridged the gap that we could not make. And so God comes down. I've got a word for somebody today that it doesn't matter how messed up your situation is, God can still step in the middle of it. God can still walk in the middle of it. God can still show up. So you may be filled with anxieties this Christmas Eve season. Not only are we dealing with a pandemic and not only are we dealing with COVID and all of those things and all the, all the restrictions and limitations and, and anxieties and fears, but it adds stress. Amen. You, you may be concerned about the mess that you live in. Maybe it's the mess that you've made. Maybe it's the mess of others that have come into your life. I'm talking about emotional mess and spiritual mess and relational mess. But I've got a word for you that in the middle of the mess, it's still God with us. God comes down. You are not alone. God has given us a sign. We celebrate Christmas. Not because everything's perfect and everything's all right. But we celebrate Christmas because Christ came. He came down to walk among us. But what I came to preach today to you is not only the focus of God with us. But the interesting irony of how he words it, I believe that every word of scripture is important and critical. Jesus comes along and he says, don't change one jot or tittle. It was the crossing of the eye. It was the way that you would write in the Hebrew. It was, it was the the crossing of the T, the dotting of the I, if you will. Don't change it. Everything has meaning and value. So we can read our Bible and we can pay attention to the words. What are the words that are being said here? And I would like to draw your attention to the fact that he said, God with us and shall call his name Emmanuel. They knew it, but Matthew spells it out for us. For those that wouldn't know which being interpreted is God with us. But we make the mistake too oftentimes of reading scripture from our context not only from our context in, in modern Western American civilization, but we read Scripture also through the lens of self and me. And I would say this, it's critical that we don't mistakenly read this phrase as God with me. Because it's God with us. If you read it and you interpret it, I know we talk about it, God with us, and we celebrate it, we thank God. But usually where does our mind go when we talk about God with us? We immediately think God with me, God with my mess. God came to help me. God came to heal me. God came to save me. But he didn't say that. He said God with us. 
You see, if you read it as God with me, you make yourself, we make ourself only the center of the reason that God came, but he did not come for just me. He did not come for just you. He came for all those others that are in the midst of the mess. He came for all those others that are not living like they should be. He came for all those others that are calling, causing you pain. Isaiah, in the middle of the mess, is preaching to Israel, who's broken off. He's preaching to Judah, who is denying God. He's preaching to the Syrian king, and he also speaks out against other Gentiles. And Isaiah, in that context, looking at Judah and Israel, a divided kingdom, looking at the Gentile king of Syria and rebuking them. Isaiah doesn't say God with you or God with you or God with you. He says God with us. God's come for those who are righteous and those who are backslidden. He's come for those who remain and those who have strayed. He's come for those who are still standing and he's come for those who are broken down. The message of Christmas is not that Christ came for me, but Christ came for us. Hallelujah. So I've got a word for a mess today. I've got a word for a world in division. I've got a word for a world in confusion and chaos. It's not God with me. It's not God with you. It's God with us. Hallelujah. And he's the great redeemer. And he's the great savior. And he's the great restorer. So I'm trying to preach to somebody faith today. I'm trying to preach to somebody today that you can walk into the world of mess that you live in. You can walk into your family mess. You can walk into your life mess. And you can know that it's not just God with me. It's God with us. Which means that God's still working on them too. God's still trying to reach them too. God's still trying to save them too. As you are, are inflicted with new pains and fresh, uh, fresh uh, uh, wounds this season, as you go through the mess, no doubt there's going to be things. I've just given you a word to take with you, and that's this, that it's God with us. The ones that are hurting you, God also came to heal. The ones that are causing you trouble, God also came to save. Is this all right today? Yes. We may be living in a messy and an upside down world, but he's still God with us. He came for me and he came, with, he came for those that are messed up around us. He goes on in Isaiah chapter number 9. In Isaiah chapter number 9, look at what he says as he talks about how Samaria is going to fall. He talks about the Assyrian conquest. He goes through, and then he says here in chapter number 9, Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan and Galilee and of the nations. He's talking about the things that God is going to do. But in verse number two, the judgments that are going to come, but it says the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death 
upon them hath the light shined. You see, the Jews made the mistake in the New Testament of thinking that Messiah was only coming for them. But he wasn't coming for them only. He wasn't coming for the remnant only. He wasn't coming for those that just remained. He was coming for those that were living in the land of the shadow of death. He was coming for them, for, for those that were still walking in darkness. And Isaiah goes on in verse 6 and he says, For unto us... I'm going to tell you the promises of God are bigger than our horizons. The promises of God are bigger than what we could ever comprehend. We think God did all this just for a few folk. No, he came for every single one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For unto us is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace and of the increase of his government of peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever more forever, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And look at what he says in verse eight, the Lord sent a word unto Jacob and it hath lighted upon Israel. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. What was he saying here? He says, God, for unto us a child is born. What was wrong with Samaria? Samaria had broken away from God. They had, they had divided the kingdom, and when they divided the kingdom, they went and they literally built idols, golden calves, one at Dan, one at Samaria, and they came and they worshiped golden idols. This was how messed up their doctrine was. This was how messed up, and it was all a division over a relational dispute. Hear me, they broke apart over a relational dispute and now they're not even worshiping God right, they're worshiping an idol. They're worshiping a golden calf. Truly, Jerusalem is where God is and those that are loving God and worshiping at Jerusalem, surely only those are the one that God is giving promise to and Isaiah comes along and says, no, it's not just for those in Jerusalem, but God's giving a sign and he said there's a Messiah coming for us. Unto us, a child is born. Can I tell you the prophecy of Messiah was not only for those that were living at Jerusalem, but it was for those beyond. He literally said, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, the Lord hath lighted upon them, those that are backslidden, those that are preaching and teaching things that are in direct contrast to God, those that are making alliances with the world. Those that are attacking Jerusalem, the city of God. And Isaiah says unto us, a son, a child is born and a son is given. God was giving them a hope. You may be lost, but there is someday a Messiah that is coming to save you. You may be broken. You may be confused. You may be so messed up, but there's a Messiah that's coming to save them. 
We fast forward to the gospel of John chapter number four and Jesus has to leave Jerusalem. This is where it all takes place. This is the greatest city, Jerusalem, where God placed his name and Jesus has to leave Jerusalem. And what does the Bible say? It says he must needs go through Samaria. It's a statement that comes out of nowhere. The disciples are like, Lord, why do we need to go through Samaria? Don't you know that we don't have any dealings with them? They're outcasts. They walked away. They don't worship right. And Jesus said, I must needs go to Samaria. You think of someone that God's written off. You think of someone that's so far gone that cannot be reached. And Jesus says, I must go to Samaria. And he comes to Samaria for lack of time. He finds there a well, Jacob's well, and he sits down by the well. He sends his disciples in to buy more food. And there comes a woman to draw water from the well. She's by herself. The scene takes place. There's Jesus, a male a Jewish male, a rabbi, a teacher they identified him as. And here comes a Samaritan woman whom the Jews looked at as unclean, who they called dogs. And she comes to draw water and the Lord turns to her and he begins to engage. He begins to ask her, give me to drink. She says, why are you even talking to me? What is going on? And he begins this discourse. You know the story. Give me to drink. There's nothing. I don't have anything. He says, if you had, if knew who I was, I would have given you drink and you would have had living water. And she begins to mock him. He begins to tell her issues that are going on in her life, which he would only know if he was God. And all of a sudden her attention is arrested. And she comes and says, now she says over the dispute, you say we have to worship in Jerusalem. My fathers say we worship this way. She talks about the divide. And Jesus says there's coming a day where it's going to rise above that. It's not going to be in this mountain. It's not going to be in Jerusalem, but you're going to have to worship him in spirit and truth. And all of a sudden she's, she's, she's liking, she's understanding what she hears. And she goes back to a key point and a tenet of hope that she has. You know what? she said? She said, I know that Messiah cometh. She said, I know someday Messiah's coming. And when he comes, what did she say? He will teach us all things. You know what she was identifying? You know what she was confessing? She was saying, it's so messed up right now that we can't make sense of anything. But when Messiah comes, he's going to make everything clear. He's going to make everything right. And she goes back to this hope, her faith. Even in the middle of this situation, her faith was on the fact that there was a Messiah that was coming, that there would be a God with us, not just a God with them, but he's going to be with us too. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Hallelujah. He fulfilled the prophecy when he went to Samaria. Can I tell you, this is what I'm preaching today. We must be careful that we do not mistake God with us for God with me. We self-isolate and we justify ourselves when we read God with me. 
instead of God with us. And as believers, we cannot truly embrace the spirit of Christmas and dismiss those we don't like at the same time. They are the very reason he came. And he came with mercy and he came with hope. The church cannot be like the world. We must not have the same reactions. We must not have the same modus operandi. We must not have the same agendas and motivations for the very things that could divide and and destroy the world that would cause men to constantly be pitted against one another. Those very things are the very reason why we stand on the Word of God. Because we need a Savior. And it's not God with me. It's not God with you. It's God with us. They found faith in one thing, and that was this, the prophecy that Messiah was coming. They found unity in one thing, and that was this, that Messiah was coming. The woman at the well, the Samaritan, looks at Jesus, and she was agreeing with something. We don't agree on anything. You call us dogs, and we think you're hateful and not godlike for acting like that. But she said, I know Messiah cometh. They found unity over that one thing. Can I tell you today that we should find faith and we should find unity, not only in the fact that he came, but in the promise that he's coming again. God with us, not just God with me. God can come to your home and to your house and to your situation and God can heal your mess. But God can also heal the mess of the very people that are fighting against you. God can save the very people that are trying to destroy the church. He died for them also. He came for them also. As a church that enters the end time hour, as we walk the end time age, we don't know when it's over. We don't know when it's done. We don't know when he's coming, but we can see the signs of the time are all around. We can see that there are things, there are antichrists that are rising up against the world. There are divisions and splits in the body of Christ. There are people that mask themselves as Christians, but yet they form alliances with the world and they let a siege on Jerusalem to attack the very temple and tenets of God. But yet in the midst of that, there's a promise, God with us. I don't know how it's going to all pan out. I don't know. Who, I don't know who individual is going to stand on which side and where they're going to come. But what I know is that Jesus Christ has come to seek and save those which are lost. The light shines in the darkness and to those that walk in the valley of the shadow of death. He says, I've come and I've appeared to them. What does that tell me? That tells me one thing, that the church isn't going to look like me and it's not going to look like what I think, but the revival and the promise of God is bigger than my horizons and the mercy and the grace of God is beyond my comprehension and God's ability to save and redeemed will blow our minds. Hallelujah. He's 
going to save. He's going to reach and he's going to heal. And you don't know who he's going to heal and who's going to reject him. I've got hope. I've got hope. I'm not worried about the world. I'm not worried about politics. I'm not worried about our society. Why? Because God's going to save and God's going to reach and God's going to heal. So let us not forget that the spirit of Christmas is God with us. As you sit down to Christmas dinner, whether over Zoom, over FaceTime, or across the table, You'll come in contact with somebody who's walked away from the promises of God or someone that just outright denies the promises of God. But don't forget that He came for them too. That He came for them too. So maybe we should walk a little more humbly. Maybe we should walk in a little more mercy. And maybe we should walk with a little more hope. Because where would I be if he hadn't found me? At some point, I was the soul in the gutter. At some point, I was the soul in darkness. At some point, I was the soul that was walking along the shadow of death. I stand today not because of my ability, but I stand today because of the grace and the mercy of God. I've told you many times as they come to the music, I've told you many times and shared certain testimonies, things of how God saved my family and reached me, dug back into my lineage, my heritage, if you want to call it that, dug back into family and histories and where we came from, who we are. Everybody wants to know a little bit of who they are. I'm going to tell you all I found was alcoholics, Dysfunctional families and abandoned children, family who didn't want to take care of them, turned out into orphanages, people who were consistently passing on one thing to the next. I dug up the dirt, found the newspaper articles and found the the reports, the police reports found the reason why when my father would ask his grandfather, tell me about your family, found the reason why they would just brush him off and say, oh, you don't want to know that. Because in reality, you don't want to know that. But Brother Gollinger, where it changed, where it changed was when someone came to an altar Somebody walked into a church. Somebody got to a place where they said, we need help. We need help. And they went to a church. And when they went to the church, they repented of their sins. They were baptized in Jesus' name. Thank God that there was somebody that didn't judge them when they walked in the back door. Thank God there was somebody that when they pulled up, they weren't turned out. Thank God there was somebody that probably could see the sin through their eyes when they walked in that place that said, he came for you. That he's not just God with me, he's God with us. Thank God there was somebody that when they made mistakes, dug things back and find things out, messed up homes and families, 
God's not only a God's not only a savior, he's a redeemer when you make a mistake. He's a healer. He's a recoverer. God can do that. If God can do that for my family, he can do that for anybody. If God can do that for you, he can do that for anybody. Come on, Jesus is the reason for the season. Too often we interpret that, that my blessing is the reason for the season, or my home is the reason for the season, that God loves me better. That's the reason. for No, he's the reason for the season. He's God, not with me only. He's God with us. So God, let me go humbly. Let me walk in mercy and let me stand in hope. When that person calls out and lashes out to you, when that person does something that's painful, don't turn them out. Don't respond in anger, but respond in love. Respond in mercy. Respond in hope. Because who knows what day it's coming where Messiah comes for them too. Would you stand together with me this morning? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives. Hallelujah. alcoholic, to the prostitute, to the man addicted to pornography, to the person wrapped in hate, to the person that has been wrecked emotionally, victim unto us. A child is born. Unto us, a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It's time that we lift our hearts toward heaven and let him be the Prince of Peace in our life. Come on, somebody right now. He's our Savior, but he's our Redeemer. He's our healer. He's our way maker. Come on, can you let the Prince of Peace speak into your life today? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Come on, God's reaching for somebody today. There's an altar of repentance available. Come on, there's a cross ready to pick up this morning.